Well, good to see you this morning, and uh, the results are in, uh, the votes have been tabulated, and it's a tie. Uh, best hat of 4th of July goes to these two lovely ladies right here, and uh, Karen and Benny, would you stand? Would you please stand so people can see your hat? Uh, this is... Okay, so <laughs> these ladies, fantastic. Let's close a prayer and go to the games out in the back, and uh, we're pretty much... We'll wrap it up. Well, today we celebrate freedom as a nation, uh, but that's not what brings us to, to worship, is it? Uh, our, it's our freedom in Christ that brings us to worship. But today is a wonderful day. Fourth of July, uh, we celebrate our freedom as a nation. And the big question that comes to my mind immediately, and perhaps yours, is freedom from what? Freedom for what? What comes to mind when you think about, well, I've been set free for... Or I've been set free from what comes to your mind. Uh, typically, uh, it's freedom from tyranny and freedom to live our most cherished values. Would you agree? That's a pretty safe political way of summarizing it. Uh, freedom from tyranny and freedom for uh, the pursuit uh, of our most cherished values. And uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution lays it out pretty handily. And all the background documents... Uh, do a good job of giving a context for that. So if you, ever, if you haven't read lately all those prime documents that would uh, give you a context for this great experiment called the United States, I strongly encourage you to do that. It's really good every once in a while to pull out uh, it's a very slim volume, read the U.S. Constitution, read uh, the Declaration of Independence, read all that background data uh, that James Madison and others had going on to talk about what, all the what-ifs. Freedom from, freedom for. But what guides us in forming values that don't create tyranny for others? One person's freedom is another person's bummed out day. Uh, right now, uh, this is a small but significant thing for a population in San Diego. There's a big brouhaha about cars and bikes. Uh, if you've noticed, the bike riders have a deep sense of entitlement. And they'll ride in your lane and go, hey, too bad, get over it. Well, as a bike rider, I can relate to that. You feel empowered now, finally, on your little flimsy bike made of carbon fiber, costing more than your first home. You feel a sense of, well, hey, yeah, I got, a, I got the right of this lane. Right, but don't abuse it. Why would you, you know, back up all the traffic because you can? Um, and cars. Uh, somebody was hit um, on their bike uh, by somebody down uh, near the cove looking up. Hey, isn't that pretty? Bam. And their, their freedom to enjoy the view while driving uh, was not a good day for the person who was... Um, seriously injured on their bike. So what guides us in forming values that don't create tyranny for others? What if you're pressed into indentured servitude and lose your freedom? How do you feel about that? Uh, that's a sticky point. Uh, some people would say that we don't celebrate 1776, we celebrate 16, whatever, 19. Um, it's an interesting question. Is that true? Uh, but we have to factor in. Uh, tyranny comes in many forms, all of which deface the image of God in people. What if people show up to your turf and take it over? You know, I'm kind of tired of Virginia, but Pennsylvania looks really good. There's nobody living there. Well, actually, for the, except for the people who've been living there for a long time, and then the Western migration, all of which we'd say is fantastic, but for the people who experience it, not so much. So tyranny comes in many forms, all of which deface the image of God in people. Uh, capitalism is probably the best system ever of all time, and yet it's a dangerous system in the wrong hands, right? Capitalism can be a, an incredible lifter 
It's lifted more people out of poverty than any other economic system. And yet it's also crushed some people in the process because sometimes people misuse and abuse everything, right? Personal property uh, rights, personal responsibilities need to be defined. Laws and standards are created to bring order out of chaos. That's one of the great things about living in a nation that lives under the rule of law. Not out of a monarch who on a whim can decide something, but we have a Congress on a whim that can decide things. So it's a better system. Uh, all in all. Uh, so living under a nation of laws is a massive improvement over living in a place where somebody who capriciously can just say what they want, do what they want, and you're the worst for it. And so we have civil systems and structures that have been created and administered. Their job is to interpret and enforce rights and responsibilities. I thank God for that. Don't you? If somebody has done something inappropriate, uh, you have a civil recourse, you have a criminal recourse. If somebody under color of authority if a policeman or some other authority abuses you, shakes you down, makes life uh, unreasonable for you uh, in controverting the law, you have access to a system that, when working well, can hold that person accountable. But, of course, every system can be gamed. Palms can be greased. Justice subverted. I was in Ireland one time, and uh, uh, I was talking to this fellow, Vincent O'Mara, and he was talking about this controversy that had happened in this small village called Kalimer and how serious it was. You know, Kalimer is one street you can drive through in five minutes. And I said, wow, it must have been pretty intense. He goes, yeah, it was really, really bad. And I said, well, how is it resolved? He said, oh, well, I believe money exchanged hands. You know, that's how things are done, right? Money exchanges hands. And if you have a little bit more money, the hands are more re receptive uh, to your point of view. We can game anything. Uh, uh, does the present administration have uh, a big, giant mandate from the electorate to do whatever they want? No. But does the minority have the right to hold back what some would see as progress? No. And so you get this mix, right? You get this incredibly intense sense that uh, are my guys winning or are those guys winning? And depending on what side you're on, you think those guys are probably going to win, so you have to fight harder and be a little bit more uh, sneaky about it, right? I mean, this is human nature. This is the amazing thing when we talk about freedom for and freedom um, uh, from. We have to deal with human nature. And until we deal with human nature, we are in la-la land. We are in la-la land. Uh, freedom is elusive and freedom is expensive. Freedom is elusive and freedom is expensive. It costs something for someone. Uh, some seek to define it to their own advantage. If you remember the great pundit uh, of yesteryear, uh, Will Rogers, at one point one of the most influential social commentators and, and funny people in the United States. Uh, you've been to Will Rogers State Park maybe if you've been up in L.A. County. Uh, Will Rogers once said, we have the best government money can buy. And it was, it was, it was a slam. It was also an acknowledgement. Our government is expensive, but for good purpose. Don't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. Better to invest the money in creating a, 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 an established, functioning government, because otherwise people will create their own black market version of government. And if you've been in countries where that works, uh, you know it's an iffy proposition. If you've ever been shaken down for a contribution to the policeman who is standing at your window, uh, you know it's an awkward moment where you say, do I comply with this? Because I think it's wrong. Or do I save myself six hours of being hustled around until finally I'm going to pay it anyway, right? 
so we stand on the shoulders of people who paid a heavy price for our freedom. I had a, got a fun uh, email today, uh, this week, from John Ashmore. Maybe some of you remember John Ashmore. He started here as Captain Ashmore, top gun pilot. He's now Commander Ashmore over a big chunk of what happens, uh, surface uh, warfare in the, in the Atlantic. Um, think about that. For 20 years now, he's been a Top Gun pilot and an instructor. For 20 years, he's been risking his life on your behalf and mine. We didn't even know it. If we had time to say, well, John, tell us your story, he would probably not real keen on that. He's a very low-key, humble person. But if you said, come on, tell, what, what, what are your, tell us about your close calls. Tell us about those moments. <clears throat> He'd probably tell you about coming in here to Miramar and the engines of his F-18 go out. It's just pure mechanical error, and he's, he's coasting in. He's calling in saying, I'm going to crash land. They're all ready for him. He's, he's got a wife, Jesse, at home. At, at that point, now they have four kids. We have two little tiny kids. He's going to crash the plane. He's thinking, oh, no, she's going to hear that I've crashed the plane. And so uh, as he parachutes out, he realizes, oh, my gosh, I brought my cell phone. And so when he, he lands, he pulls his parachute together. The, all the sirens, you know, you hear me going out to get the wreck. And he says, hey, honey, it's me. Yeah? Aren't you at work? Well, kind of. Just wanted you to know you're going to get a call. Don't freak out. I'm fine. Uh, what happened? Well, the plane had a very bad day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's on the shoulder of giants that we stand, don't we? All of you who have served. Now, again, we don't come to church to celebrate Secular religion. Isn't America God's answer to the world's problems? We come to worship Jesus Christ. At the same time, we say we live in a place where, thank God, people, often in His name, have taken extraordinary effort to serve us. That's a pretty humbling and inspiring thing, don't you think? I find it to be so. And so every citizen bears the responsibility to advance freedom in their generation. Every one of us has that responsibility. That's why sometimes big uh, awkward arguments between generations are really good. <clears throat> the Vietnam War was grinding on and people were frustrated and it wasn't until his daughter across from him at the dinner table said to President Nixon, Dad or Daddy, why are we still doing this? That was the first little breakthrough to an emotional place to his heart that he'd gotten. Because he was in a political morass, a quandary. When his, when his daughter looked at him with those innocent eyes saying, I know my dad can take care of it. Daddy, why are we doing this? All of a sudden, something breaks through. And what was a big generational argument then becomes this very tender generational conversation. Well, honey, you're right, but we're trying to do whatever we can to, to get out of that. So every citizen bears the responsibility to advance freedom in their generation. <clears throat> Hence the power of virtue. Hence the power of virtue. A virtuous life is the foundation for freedom. Let that sink in. A virtuous life is the foundation for freedom. Virtue isn't an alternative to the law. The road, is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I meant to do the right thing. I just got caught up in the moment and I didn't. I accepted the bribe. I, I covered up the crime. Virtue isn't an alternative to freedom, uh, to law, nor is law an alternative to virtue. You can't make enough laws. I was, I was with three attorneys this week, just having a conversation, three different fields in, in the legal profession. 
And, and we were talking about the gift of freedom and, and what it means to be in a free country and be free in Christ. And, and we just agreed. You can't make a contract good enough that somebody can't break or bust or undermine. You can't make a law uh, that covers up, makes up for a lack of human virtue. Law is simply codified righteousness. Do these things and you'll be right with people and right with God. That's what the Ten Commandments are about. Virtue is internalized righteousness. You learn these things and pretty soon they become so much a part of who you are. When a, when a three-year-old tells a fib, a little white lie, we realize that little fib, little white lie can be a major issue very soon. And so in a very gentle, very clear, firm way with that three-year-old, you say, that's not okay. You want to tell the truth no matter what the cost. Law is codified righteousness. Virtue is internalized righteousness. So we believe virtue is the law of God written in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, I love the way uh, God spoke to the people of Israel through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, if you have a Bible, uh, or you see the verses right up here. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Uh, The prophet speaking on behalf of God says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Israel and Judah were the north and the south part of the whole country we know as Israel. Israel uh, was the north, Galilee area, northern up near Lebanon, and Syria, Judea down toward Egypt, and, and Jerusalem, the capital, was in Judea. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of, Ju- of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. Literally, um, they were making idols out of all their melted down gold jewelry when Moses came down the mountain with the law and he throws it down and breaks it, goes up and gets another copy. He's so frustrated. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. See the personal, intimate relationship. It's not just I'm a distant God telling you what to do. I made a commitment to you, like a husband to a wife. This is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. Now he's using Israel as the whole country, right? I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It's no longer an external thing. It becomes an internal thing. Something we can think about, something that we can resonate with in the deepest emotional way. The rightness and the wrongness. The goodness or the badness of whatever choices we make. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. It'll be more like, Isn't it great to know the Lord? From the least of them to the greatest. You see that great equalizing effect that righteousness and virtue has? From the least to the greatest. Everybody everybody counts, everybody matters. Everybody has a role, a responsibility, and a right. Lived out appropriate ways in particular contexts, but everybody from the least to the greatest, the littlest to the oldest and the biggest and smallest, all of them. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Well, so virtue is the highly desirable quality of God that he wants us to possess. This is the very character of God made available to us. But there's such a big gap between us and God 
that we always fall short. We all fall short. Good intentions notwithstanding. Uh, we, we see this in Scripture. For all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, for, all, for all have sinned. And, and, and the, the consequence of sin is, is death. Is, is, is decay. Sin corrupts virtue into a cheap imitation of the real thing. So Satan, uh, in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> says to Adam and Eve, when they say, oh no, God said we shouldn't touch that fruit. Well, God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. And so Satan says, oh, did he really say if you touch it, you'll die? Did God really say? So all of a sudden we see Satan corrupting the virtue with a cheap imitation of the real thing. Partly true. Oh, did he say if you touch it, you'll die? Go ahead and touch it. Let's see. Oh, you touched it, you didn't die. A cheapening of virtue, of a faux version, a distorted, destructive version of virtue. Faux virtue is deceptive and deceitful. It loves virtue signaling and it loves virtue smearing. I will use virtue to smear you. I'm so much more righteous than you because obviously you don't hold my point of view. Therefore, de facto, no need to discuss it. You, you lack virtue. And I will signal my virtue by smearing yours. It's a, it's a bizarre and very effective but very... Um, depraved way of handling virtue, right? You signal virtue, but it's a deceptive, duplicious version of it, and you use virtue to do something uh, bad. A complete mashup. But authentic virtue is a sign of freedom, and it's, and it's an expression of freedom. Why? Because it always considers the other. It always says, what would my decision, how would that impact you? How would my choices impinge on yours? If I do this, although I might have a right, am I really um, negating my responsibility and I'm doing something righteously, but it's really tyrannous because I know I'm depriving you of something you need? I'll live by the letter of the law, but I'll ignore the spirit of the law. That's why love is the ultimate example of freedom. That's, again, what draws us to worship together, not our love, but God's love for us, and in Him, our love for one another and for Him. He realigns us in a relationship of love. Love sets us free for, and love sets us free from. Jesus said it this way. Uh, <clears throat> in, in this discourse, on the last night He was with uh, His disciples on that Last Supper, He says it this way. Very truly I tell you, this is John 8, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. A daughter belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now that was before the dinner. And here at the dinner, uh, chapter 15 in John, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That is, if you listen to me and respond to me, uh, to obey means a simple, obedere means to hear, to listen. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you slaves. You're part of the family now. 
Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He's not holding anything back. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Wow. So a virtuous life where the, the, the Word of God uh, is written on our minds and our hearts. The Spirit of God inhabits us and empowers us to do the very will of God. On our own terms, out of our reach. Canalizingly close, but just out of reach. But on His terms and His power, all of a sudden we have the capacity to learn how to respond to Him. To appropriate what is now ours as beloved sons and daughters by faith. So a virtuous life reflects and reveals God's transforming presence in us. So we said, hey, July 4, what does freedom mean to you? He said, well, I'm free to listen to Christ. I'm free to, I'm free to do God's will. I'm free to set my own rights aside so that I can fulfill, fulfill my own responsibilities. I'm free to claim my rights supported by my responsibilities. And so we learn from him and experience the powerful presence of his Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and discernment to use uh, freedom wisely. These fruits and virtues are not decorative ornaments. Oh, don't I look good in those, in those fruits of the Spirit? But rather, uh, they're essential qualities that emerge in my character that shape me, form me, transform me. It's not, gee, I'm trying to get it right. It's I'm training to get it right. You can't try to do something that's really, really hard and complicated. You've got to train to do that. Just before they give you the anesthesia on some massive surgery, the doctor looks at you and says, how are you feeling? You go, good, good. How are you doing? Well, I'm going to try to do my best. And just then you're thinking, oh, dear God. Oh, hold on a second. Wait, wait. Would you please define try? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, no, no. What I meant is I've been training to do this for 20 years. I've been practicing as a, as a surgeon for 20 years. I keep going back and reviewing what I know and learning more to add to it. I am so ready for this. I'm so excited to be able to help you. Anything else? No. And then they crank up really loud music and they put you out. So these virtues strengthen my heart, reveal my soul, shape my mind, protect my body. They're not a burden. They are a gift from God, these virtues. Without Christ, they're a crushing burden. Hey, can you be more loving? I wish. You know, can pigs fly? I know I can't be more loving. I just keep defaulting into this selfish behavior. But these things are not a burden. They're a gift, and, and they're attitudes and behaviors that's, that bless me and bless other people through me. They empower me and equip me to bless others in Jesus' name. Now, let me say this. They thrive and flourish as we abide in Christ together. Uh, I think it's unfortunate we talk about this as Independence Day. It's a freedom day. I get it. It's independence from the rule of Great Britain. Who wouldn't have wanted to be independent from British food? I'm telling you. I mean, but the problem is, disconnected from that initial historic context, when we talk about we're independent, uh, we're in big trouble. We're not meant to be independent. We're meant to be free. 
Let me clarify that. We, we thrive and we flourish as we abide in Christ together in freedom. Uh, let me give you a silly example <clears throat> from a 4th of July many years ago in Bridgeport, California. Does anybody here know where Bridgeport, California is? If you drive up to Mammoth, you're now on the eastern side of the High Sierra. And if you keep driving north, you hit a town called Levining. And if you make a left, you go up to Tuolumne Meadows and Yosemite. But if you keep going straight, you hit a little town, a beautiful town, called Bridgeport. It's the actual county seat of Mono County. So Mammoth isn't the head of, isn't the main seat. It's, if you want to go to court or do anything official, you've got to drive up to Bridgeport for Mammoth. And Bridgeport is one of those bucolic, iconic, idyllic-looking little towns with the, with the, the wooden white courthouse with the bell at the top, looks like a church practically, and all the little shops, and, and you look off to your left, and there's Honeywell Ranch. It's out there in the, on the flats. It's been there for 150 years. You look past that, these magnificent Alp-like mountains called the Sawtooth Ridge. It's called the Hoover Wilderness, the northernmost part of, of Yosemite. It's, it's pristine alpine area. Uh, maybe Twin Lakes, you've been up there to camp. Anyway, if you keep going north, you finally get to Reno. But if you're in Bridgeport, you're at the county seat, and man, you feel like you've gone back 100 and 50 years. On <clears throat> the 4th of July, they have a big all-town party on the lawn of the courthouse. And one of the features of that, besides all the food and fun and all that, the bunting fireworks, is the three-legged race. You know, they put a, literally a potato sack. You put your leg in a potato sack, and, and, and each of you have a leg in there, and you're supposed to then race your cohort uh, you know, to the finish line, and you get a prize. And they, they break it out into ages and stages. And so in, at, at the time, in, in the stage and age I was in, people in their you know, uh, 20s and 30s and 40s, it was like a bunch of tough hombres who were cowboys, because it's all ranch country up there, right? And these guys are tough looking, and, and you got all these backcountry people. And so me and my buddy Gary Erickson, with long hair and beards, we've been spending our time doing mountaineering stuff in the alpine environment, taking groups out. And so we come down, and uh, we're looking at this and thinking, oh my gosh, you know. And so the people with go, you guys got to do this. Like, no way, <laughs> you, know, you got to do this. So we get in there and realize that all these guys are going to prove something. All we have to do is, is coordinate our effort. <laughs> I said, Gary, let's just do a one, two, one, two. We just like move. We just take our time. We'll, and, and we started laughing. Like, That's easy. Is that going to do it? I go, I don't know. All these guys um, look like they don't really care if they're, sitting, they're standing next to somebody. <laughs> so sure, the, 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 the gun goes off, and we start going. And all these guys, ah, these guys try to drag their friends and falling down. And we just kept steady, 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 working together. We got across the finish line, and they gave us each a silver dollar. Oh, my gosh. We were laughing. We had so much fun. And to this day, if I ever talk to Gary, I go, remember that silver dollar we won? He goes, yes. Um, he, runs a, he, only, he started a company called Cliff Bar, named after his dad. They're all about teamwork. They're all about working together. Our little mountaineering thing is all about people working together. Freedom is all about people working together together. We thrive and flourish as we abide in Christ together. That's our freedom. We don't walk the same, but we walk together. How should we pace ourselves? How's the person next to us? So let's talk about that. Let's have a plan. Let's have a structure that allows us to practice as we walk together. 
If we're not together, we can do all kinds of things, but together we can accomplish something that we couldn't on our own. The virtuous life is our personal commitment to growing together in godly character. I need you to grow in virtue. I cannot grow in virtue without you. Because as long as I'm on my own independently, it's a fictitious form of virtue because I don't have to, anything to test it against. I'm awesome. I embody the fruit of the Spirit every day, all day. Until I get in the context of other people. And I realize, oh, I'm not that virtuous after all. I need to be in community to flourish and thrive. And I understand what it means that God has put something on my mind and in my heart. Inhabits me in His Holy Spirit. What does that do? It calls me into community by drawing on godly content, connecting to godly community, abiding in Christ together. Are you with me on this? This is the core of freedom. It's not about being independent. It's about being free. Free to learn how to love. The power of love is transformational. It's spiritual transformation, not just independent self-improvement. That's why God keeps bringing messy people together in community. That's why some people don't go to church anymore. I don't, want to, I don't want to be around people who bum me out. I finally got in a place in life where I, I pretty much got it together and I don't want them to bum me out. It's like, really? I'm sorry, but that's the nature of life. It's to be with people who bum you out long enough to see that God can bring you together and, and do something in you that no longer bums you out, but blesses you together. So God's love in Christ sets us free to live together courageously in a very dangerous world as free people. That's worth celebrating. It's also worth sacrificing ourselves for, not retreating into our own little enclaves of independence. It's not groupthink. It's not spending all your time with all the people. But it's saying, I'm so part of a community, I can't know myself without the community. My identity is inherently, intrinsically linked to the community. Not to co-opt my identity, but to allow it to thrive and flourish. So let this theology shape your view of citizenship in God's kingdom. Let it also be your guide in living out your citizenship in this troubled country, in this troubled time. And by the way, every generation can speak of the country as a troubled country in a troubled time. It's a farce to say, well, nobody before us really knew what a troubled time was about. No, we live in a luxurious time compared to most times prior to us. But every time can say, oh, it was a troubled time. Every, every generation can say, man, I need wisdom navigating a corrupt and corrupting political climate. We live in a corrupt and corrupting political climate. How is that different than the one before us and the one after us? You can switch parties, you can switch personalities. It's still going to be somebody going, hey, how can I game this in my favor? That's just the way human nature works apart from Christ, apart from the accountability of his love, apart from the unifying presence of his Holy Spirit. So I leave you with this wise counsel from the Apostle Peter. His primary allegiance, as you know, is the rule of Christ, his primary mission to serve Christ. I hope your primary allegiance is to the person of Christ. I hope your primary mission in life is to serve Christ. So I'll leave you with this, 1 Peter chapter 2. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. 
Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. Love Christ to serve Christ, and that won't be that hard. The Lord Jesus, uh, we want to learn how to love you in community with you. Uh, we want to learn how to serve you in community together in you. Lord, as we come to this table of Holy Communion, to remember who we are, because we've been remade and redeemed, and we're being renewed. And not only your law, but your Holy Spirit inhabits us. So, Lord, we pray that we can thrive and flourish in that, that we can truly be examples of freedom, that we can influence uh, whatever country we live in, whatever community we inhabit, because we belong to you and your holy people. We pray, Lord, that that would not only make us humble, but bold. Not only giving us clarity about who we are and who you are, but giving us courage to live it out one day at a time in your love. This is our prayer. And in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. We have a little communion kit with you. This is, we're making this transition out of COVID. We still have these little kits. Um, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, having blessed this unleavened bread, uh, took it and broke it, said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, following the meal, he took the cup and he blessed it. I love that Hebrew blessing. Baruch Adonai This is the cup of the vine. Blessed are you, O King and Lord of the universe. His blood is the blood of the new covenant that not only saves us, but brings us together in holy community. Holy meaning it's whole. It's what it's supposed to be. It's complete. And so one day we'll be perfectly transformed in Christ. In the process, we constantly come back to this cup and this bread and say, Lord, who are we again? Oh, that's right. We belong to you. Oh, what's our mission again? Oh, that's right. To serve you. So receive this bread. Drink from this cup, knowing that you are a beloved child of God. That you're welcome into his presence in the name of Jesus, who is our atoning sacrifice for sin, our risen Lord and Savior, to whom we receive the Holy Spirit. May God bless you as you offer yourselves up to him as we, as we continue worshiping the Lord before we have a final benediction. Uh, if you want to turn in your, your, your uh, prayer card uh, when you leave or, or an offering, there's a little offering box that you can put it in. But right now, this is a time of offering you. Everything about you, you're offering to God. So let's continue worshiping the Lord in that spirit. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, that you might reflect his glory one day at a time as you walk with him. May the Lord give you everything you need uh, to experience life in all its fullness because he's filling you with his love and his life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And you will experience a transformation uh, that will blow your mind and delight you to the core, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.